everyone. Welcome to episode 184 of the MDG Grindcast, the spikiest podcast in all of Central North Carolina. We are your hosts. I'm Chris Castor-Apple. With me is Lee McLeod. Hey, Lee. Hey, Chris. Episode 184. It's a That's a big number. We're getting up there. Pretty close to 200. It's like a few weeks. I know. Well, Our bicentennial. Yeah, I mean, that's four months away still, but we got to we got to do some planning. I'm sure that the planning for like the U.S. bicentennial was it's, they started planning more than four weeks in advance. So or four months in advance. I don't know. Just wasn't alive. Then. Probably. How are you? Eh, pretty good. Today was a not a great day at work, but I got to see my dad for the first time in like okay. a year this weekend. So that's pretty good. Yeah, that's not bad. That's something, at least. I'm sorry you didn't have a great day at work. Yeah, it, it just, like, comes and goes. It's not that bad. Yeah. Would talking about modern make you feel any better? Well, it depends on the format. Like, <laughs> the good modern? Yeah. Is this one so, a good modern? I mean, I think it's for a weekend. I think it's impossible to say. I will say I've been looking at a lot of deck lists in modern. And people are really just throwing darts at the wall right now. Mm -hmm. Like no one really has a good grasp of what's great. Oh, yeah, there's I mean, the main thing we're going to look at today is the results from the two challenges this weekend. And there was a living end deck in one of those challenges. So, you know, this is very much a like play your favorite thing that still exists sort of modern right now. Yes, not banned. As long as it's not banned, banned. you've got it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, the most certainly it is defined in the early stages by kind of what you would expect and primarily the card lightning bolt uh prowess and burn both showing up quite a bit in modern play generally and prowess in several different forms having success in the tournaments and the challenges blue red seems to be the one of choice but i'm not confident that that's the best one going forward uh, and we'll we'll talk about that more specifically i played some of that and uh, i have thoughts about it for sure Okay. Yeah. What do you what do you want to do this episode? What do you want to talk about? Let's just sort of like get our footing here and kind of like talk about what archetypes exist. Like a lots of stuff exists. But as far as kind of like the the defining stuff goes, I would say that like the best sort of cards and strategies that that I have felt um certainly like aggressive decks are prowess and burn. And there's lots of different ways to play, to build prowess, whether you are being more, you know, you can be a Death Shadow deck, you can be a bigger Death Shadow deck. Like, I would define that as the decks that rather than having like eight one drops, have four Swiss Spears and are playing Tarmogoyfs for some reason. (laughs) But any, like, these are decks that are trying to kill your opponent pretty quickly. Some a little bit slower with Thought Seizes, some a little bit faster with uh, Sprite Dragons and that sort of thing. Then you have... The mid-rangey decks, I mean, I would say this is pretty much any Renin 6 deck. Like, there's a whole large category of Renin 6 decks generally, and I think Renin 6 is one of the best cards left in Modern and is going to see a ton of play over the coming months. Uh, And there's lots of things you can do with it. I think that Omnath remains pretty good, but you need to find something powerful to do with it. And you were saying that you were not impressed with the, one of the Omnath decks, at least. Yeah, there's one I saw Canister post and a couple other people were playing it. It's just mostly a four color Omnath pile. It's mm-hmm. like kind of tempo-y. It's got Utopia Sprawls and Remands and stuff like that. 
and it was just trying to bring delight into either a scape shift there's a one scape shift or a Valky, and just like mm-hmm. win the game that way outside of the normal like cryptic command stuff you associate the mid-range piles with sure uh, that idea was interesting but modern's so wide right now that a deck that's kind of just generally fine and has a like long game plan that kind of works but it needs stuff to come together wasn't very impressive yeah i can totally see that i the red and six omnath deck that i played was a niv mizzet deck uh they are not built properly right now i know and it's driving me up the wall it is completely nuts I, I will say, like, my first glance at the lists, everybody is still running the four Kaya's Guiles that kind of started out with the, like, Will Pulliam version of the deck from pre-COVID. But that was a dredge-defined metagame. And playing four Kaya's Guiles was fine because one of those modes just beat a large section of the metagame. Now, like, it's mostly... I, you know, I, I wanted to hate it and then I played with it and it was like exactly fine all the time. And it's basically a concession to the prominence of, you know, prowess and also like Death Shadow stuff where it's, you know, an expensive clunky lightning helix a lot of the time. But that's like fine. You need more copies of that card. And also it is kind of tough to kill death shadows and scourge of the skyclave sometimes and it's that card is okay against it although sometimes it gets a one drop and they keep their actually threatening creature and your card feels really really bad yeah but i i don't think kaya's guile is horrendous per se it's okay and i don't hate it it's just that i I feel people like overvalue charms like that Mm -hmm. and this is not a card that really it really wants the graveyard mode to be on a majority of the time because it's the most powerful thing. Mm-hmm. And right now, uh, it's not like Dredge doesn't exist. I've seen people playing Dredge, but not like you don't really want the card against uh, most of the format right now. Yeah, it's actively good against, you know, the decks worth gaining for life is good and they put a creature into play. So, okay against Burn, pretty solid against Prowess. It's okay against like jund because there's sometimes you exile a graveyard and then their tarmogoyf is just too small to do the thing that they need it to do or whatever uh yeah it's never super impressive i think it deserves some space in the deck but i i don't know if it is supposed to be a four of uh there are more interesting questions about the deck though that kind of popped up as i was playing it and i'm not sure that we will get those answers super quickly. The version that I was playing was a Yorion version, and I think it's a pretty open question whether or not it's supposed to be a Yorion deck. You know, I played through a league and didn't cast Yorion a single time. So that makes me question the value of it. Like, there was just, you're always under the gun, and you also never really ran out of stuff to do. So I, I don't know. But also the cost of Yorion is really low because you don't mind your deck being kind of big and it actually kind of makes your deck better because you don't draw like the swamp that often. <laughs> yeah. So it's a deck with four prismatic vistas and a five basic lands. So you're, yeah. <laughs> you really don't want to six. We got oh, two oh, fours. My bad, my bad. <laughs> yeah. So having 80 cards is actually like almost actively good for that deck. And also, you know, you can play your bring to light targets and 
you know, one time I drew Supreme Verdict and it was like really bad because I could no longer bring the light for Supreme Verdict and I did not have double white with the lens that showed up for me that game. I, I find that Yorion itself is not that relevant most games because even in the games that are grindy and go long, you mm-hmm. often only have like an abundant growth to flicker and like nothing else. Like the games, yeah. you really want to be flickering. Like Niv Mizzet is the best thing you can flicker. But I mean, but if you cast a Niv Mizzet, you got plenty of stuff to do with your mana. Exactly. So. Yeah. You just don't need yeah. Yorion then. I was generally pretty impressed with. Obviously, Omnath is still very good, uh, but also Niv Mizzet, I was pretty impressed with. There were a lot of spots where it was just huge. I, I couldn't think of a better spell in modern to cast at that point. It was like my opponent definitely had spell queller up and probably like a spell piercer and a gate type effect. Well, here's a five mana creature that you can't beat on board and gives me more cards. So it's also just so big for modern, a six six fire. It kills mm-hmm. so quickly and nothing blocks it. Yeah. I mean the body is super, super relevant. My first match I played against Spirits, which I think is a completely atrocious matchup. Like, I don't think you can ever actually win it. But the one game where I did force through a Niv-Mizzet, I, like, pretty easily won. But other than that, like, yeah, your cards all are terrible. And your sweeper is bring to light for Supreme Verdict, which you just can never do if there's a Mausoleum Wanderer in play. So that matchup didn't feel very good. Also, no one I've asked has ever answered me why Nissa of Shadowed Bows is in the deck. Bows? How do you say that word? Uh, I think it's Bows. Yeah, I, I don't know why that new Nissa is there. It just cannot be good. No, it's it's absolutely abysmal. I The list that I played just had one in it, and I was like, I don't want to change this. I want to find out. And I played it, and it was just atrocious every time I drew it. I hit it with Niv-Mizzet, and it was just like, why is this not an abrupt decay as my Golgari card here? Uh, like honestly, the, it's probably better as shambling shells on percentage of the time. Just any generic green black threat. Like, okay, so so this card does nothing, basically. The plus untaps a land, you can make it a 3-3, and you can attack with it, but it's not a 3-3 that you can block with. It, it's until end of turn, not until, like, your next turn. So that's, like, half of the utility of a creature that it doesn't have. If you play a land after it then the landfall puts a loyalty counter on it and you can pull a niv-mizzet from your graveyard into play or put a niv-mizzet from your hand into play but like i just that never comes up if niv-mizzet dies it's because it got pathed like you'll never reanimate it and also it like if you can go nissa land just cast a Niv-Mizzet from your hand. Like, why is this card in the deck? I, I don't understand. The one thing it ever did good for me was at one point I untapped with it and had a Utopia Sprawl in play, so it made me two mana. <laughs> That's... Okay. It's not a good card. Four mana Arbor Elf. Yeah, it's not good. I, like, cut it, cut it from the lists. I tried it. I did the thing where you play the exact deck to find out. And the card isn't good. It's like any deck where you see Is It Charm, and you're like, you know, I'm pretty sure Is It Charm's not good, but we'll give it a I shot. Play with it. Yeah. <laughs> and then you keep drawing it and you can't cast it because it's two mana and doesn't do anything. Uh, yeah, not good. The other thing, uh, Jarvis was hanging out with me as I was playing, and I I think like it became pretty clear at some point during the the games that like just having some more options. And a little bit more tutoring would have been really nice. And I think playing Glittering Wish is probably pretty good. 
So yeah. I, I've seen some some lists with that card. And yeah, Glittering Wish is a card that I both really, really like and don't think people use properly a lot. Uh, because mostly when you see Glittering Wish on a board, you start seeing all sorts of atrocious cards show up in the sideboard, like all the mm-hmm. Omniket uh, split cards. <laughs> so as long as you can stay away from trapping yourself into needing Glittering Wish to be like everything, I think it's a yeah. really good addition to the deck. And I, I think it's particularly really good because you get to not put Unmoored Ego in your deck and still have access to Unmoored Ego game one. And that's the only way that you can beat a deck like Tron or whatever game one. So And that is a tall ask sometimes too, because that's really slow. Mm-hmm. Glaring Wish into Unmoored Ego. But, well, based on the lands that you fetch and stuff, like you can certainly go turn two Glittering Wish, turn three Unmoored Ego. Like that's very doable. You just have to hope to be on the play and have the right combination. Yeah, of lands you have and... to be on the play. But if you are on the play, like you gain a bunch of percentage points from if I'm on the play and draw Glittering Wish. Oh yeah, that's then true. I get them versus I'm just gonna lose. Well, God, I hope you show me a matter of shaper. <laughs> that, that's your out. <laughs> I did beat Tron the one time I played against it though. Which, uh, they kept, uh, one of those hands that you don't keep seven of playing Tron in the London Mulligan world. I mean, they had like two Tron pieces and baubles and that's, you can't, you don't keep that on seven, I don't believe. So I turn five to them with a turn three Omnath, turn four Niv-Mizzet, and then Lightning Helix, and then Growth Spiral to put the third land into play. <laughs> I hope you got the Growth Spiral off the Niv-Mizzet. Well, okay, it was actually a bring to light, and then Gross Spiral was the cutest thing that I could get to deal the last three damage. I, so uh, Yeah, I like that more, actually. So, <laughs> But yeah, I mean, as far as mid-range decks go, that feels actually, to me, more powerful than, like, scapeshifting. You don't have to put Valakuts in your deck. You don't have to, like, do those weird things to your mana base and have, like, mountains that you don't actually want to have in there. And... A 6-6 six, six flyer and Omnath are, like, good at turning the corner. So, like, the game ends relatively quickly without you being terrified about what cards they could top deck. And also the kind of mid-rangey matchups. Like, when you pit mid-range decks against each other, it is huge in those games. Mm-hmm. And not having access oh, to yeah. it really hurts. Jund felt like... I played against Jund and it just felt really stupid. It felt like I was cheating. But yeah, Jund is one of those decks that can't beat cards from 2019 onward if they just mm-hmm. do a bunch of stuff. Like even the um I saw people posting War of Invention lists today that were mostly like Thopter Sword combo decks. Mm-hmm. And I was kind of thinking of matchups and I thought of Jund and I'm like, yeah, Jund's probably good. Yeah, you know, except for you can't Thoughtseize the sword and you can't beat an Emery. And you can't, and Urza's too big to deal with. And it's just like, if you ever playing one of those mid-range decks where your one of your cards is worth like four cards, Jun's never going to win. Mm-hmm. I was watching Doomwake's stream, and I mean, he was playing like a, a Mardu deck, but it was relatively Jundy. And... Mardu, the spiritual Jund. Yes. I mean, it was like a Stoneforge version of the deck. One of the matchups he played against twice and it looked like a like maybe a 10 percent matchup or something like that but he played against elves with realm walker that deck looks absolutely completely legitimate if you don't have sweepers 
they will just like in in your mid rangey at all like that kind of deck is just going to run you over completely and i think that's the kind of deck that jund i mean at least jund has the access to like renin six on the play but other than that like i don't i don't see how jund could ever keep up with this like collected company for realm walker elves deck huh that's interesting i really want to see that elves deck to be honest uh i'm always kind of skeptical skeptical about elves but i really like realm walker I mean, I was more just bringing it up as an, another example of the type of thing that Jund isn't able to beat. Yeah, any card uh, that's worth like three cards, Jund can't beat. Yeah, and, and Realmwalker did look obviously very impressive in Elves. But we've got two challenges worth of data, and, you know, Elves didn't make the top 32 in either of those. So, you know, clearly it's not tearing things up right now or anything. <laughs> Perhaps too many lava darts running around for it to be legitimately great. Yeah, prowess decks are still very good. Mm -hmm. I know you said you played Is It Blitz or Is It Prowess or whatever you want to call it. Yeah. Is how did you like that? Seems fine. It's like very clearly the level zero deck of the format right now, which is why I played it for my first league uh, of the format. And the build that I was playing, I don't think was built totally correctly. It, I, I think the versions that have four free spells, four Phyrexian mana spells, are probably closer to correct. Your best draws usually involve casting a mutagenic growth or a gut shot. So, and, and mutagenic growth in particular is fantastic when people are lightning bolting you and you really want to cast Stormwing Entity on turn two. Uh, so, I, I think that playing a decent amount of those is good. Uh, it does feel very like you get you get gassed out really quickly uh you expend resources and then your refill is only light up the stage which is like a little bit awkward and a little bit unreliable and it's just like pretty easy especially against like i was fortunate enough to not play against a snapcaster mage path to exile deck but if i did i don't think i ever could beat something like that yeah i I know that as far as like Lava Dart-esque decks go, the blue-red one's really popular because it has like really good openers with mm -hmm. Stormwing Entity and sometimes with Sprite Dragon. But it's mostly like that get out the gate really fast and threaten to kill you if you don't interact. And mm -hmm. if they do interact, maybe you don't have the tools to keep going because you drew Mutagenic Growth and you don't have a creature. Mm -hmm. And I think that a big problem as well actually is... Skyclave Apparition, you know, that card got printed after this deck became a thing, and, like, it does not get Stormwing Entity, but the fact that it gets Sprite Dragon, and then also any of your prowess guys, and then the dude that, like, the token, if you do kill it, like, the token is completely and utterly meaningless versus any Skyclave Apparition deck, because it just got a 1, usually, and, like, that's good enough. And so, like, if you have two ones in play and it, like, gets one and then you have to kill this meaningless creature or they get a chump block out of it, it just buys them so much time. And those decks also maybe have Oriac Champion in them. And so those matchups are, like, not good, I don't think, anymore because of that. The Spike Feeder decks used to be okay matchups for Prowess, especially if you could play them. I didn't realize just how brutal... Skyclave Apparition was going to be for, for this sort of matchup. And you're not leaving home without a bunch of Skyclave Apparitions in your green-white deck, which is the Helia deck with the Spike Feeder combo. I think that deck's pretty yeah. good. 
Yeah. And, and I think that imp- like a big reason for that is they get to play Mandagoriac champions. Yeah, and it works with their whole combo. Like it yeah. gives, it makes Heliod a creature very fast and you get to put counters on the Oriac champions so it's not so useless. Mm-hmm. Right, I mean, it just lets you like spread a bunch of counters around relatively quickly, especially because Oriac champion triggers off of their creatures as well because mm-hmm. it's an old style uh, Soul Warden. So. Fifth Donnie age card. Mm-hmm. Wow, that's really close to the beginning of modern. Yeah, it just kind of squeezed in there. Yeah. The the green white deck made the finals of one of these challenges. Actually, it, it technically it made the finals of both challenges, but in one of them, the finals was a mirror of the green white yeah. deck. Yeah. So that deck is something to look out for. It's real. Yeah, it was well positioned this weekend. A couple of different ways to build it. I can't say that I would recommend building an Archangel of Thune version of the deck. I just don't want to put a five into this deck. I It did win the challenge, Archangel of Thune. But mm-hmm. every time I've seen someone play Archangel of Thune... Well, every time I see someone draw Archangel of Thune, I should say. Yeah. It, it's just not... It's the last thing you play, and you're not. it doesn't do that much. Like, when you draw Nymphizit, which is a five-mana card... You slam it into play as soon as you can and draw a bunch of cards and do stuff with it. Mm-hmm. Archangel of Thune is a bad five drop. And if you have the spike reader in play, you gain infinite life, but it's moto. So, you know, sometimes that's not even a win. <laughs> right. Yeah. And it deals infinite damage. And like if you have other pieces, you know, even just another attacking creature, it, it deals infinite damage if you have spike feeder Archangel. But the card is really bad if anything has gone wrong with your plan. Including like, oh, they lava darted my mana creatures. I can't cast this until like turn seven or eight of this game. So I, I think there's just better uses of the, those slots. Yeah, like the second place list and the challenge on Sunday just played Eladomri's calls. Like a couple Eladomri's calls instead of Archangel of Thune. And it was probably great. Yeah, I'm, I'm super into it. Like your deck has several different mini combos in it. So I, I think that that is totally fine. I guess it's mostly like have Heliod and another thing out and then the other thing becomes really good, but Yeah, it, it can let you put some spicy one of in your deck too, if that's what you're about. I mean in 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 an underrated or maybe like not underrated, but less immediately recognizable aspect of it is that it can make your postboard games significantly better if there are particular hate creatures that you want. Yeah, like if you want to grab I mean, the Collector Roof is the first card that came to my mind, but that's not a particularly powerful card right now. But if you like mm-hmm. wanted a Collector Roof and it was good, having yeah. Eladomri's Call to give you access to those really makes your post-war games a lot easier. Yeah. Whereas I mean, also, you know, if there were Archangels, you'd probably side them out. Yeah. And I was going to say, like, and, you know, you can get a Reclamation Sage or whatever, but you don't need that card anymore. It's That's what Skyclad Apparition's for. They're already in your main deck. <laughs> <laughs> the apparitions got you covered. Can we talk about like tribal decks? Those have been kind of upticking. I want to say tribal decks. I really just mean three: like humans, spirits, and Eldrazi. <laughs> Is that a tribal deck? I am gonna call it a, a tribal deck. <laughs> it's got a All land right, in sure. it that produces mana for a specific creature type. Yeah, I mean, I guess Eldrazi Temple is like the most individually powerful tribal card that we have in modern. That's not banned. Yeah. 
Well, Eye of Ugin is the most powerful card that is banned. The most powerful, maybe the most powerful card that's banned in Modern. No banned Modern always gets crushed by Eldrazi decks. Yeah, I, I believe that if there are two cards that absolutely could not get unbanned from Modern, it'd be Dread Return and Eye of Ugin. Right. Just the super mana GD cards. Yeah. That lets you do something bonkers on turn two every game. Yep, sometimes turn one. <laughs> sometimes turn one. <laughs> but humans and spirits I, are the main two. I kind of want to talk about because I think a lot of people are playing those mm -hmm. and they don't have a lot of great results right now. It looks like humans got two spots in the top 32 of one of these challenges and didn't show up in the other one at all. Mm -hmm. And I actually don't see any spirits in these two challenges, but I see it everywhere whenever I turn into a stream. <laughs> so I know yeah. a lot of people are playing it. Yeah. And this is, this is a lava dart format and you got to keep that in mind when you're making your deck choice and I think that you have to have some reason to be choosing your deck if you're playing a Noble Hierarch deck or a Mausoleum Wanderer deck. Like, and, and you have to be buying back the percentage points that you lose in those matchups by Lavadar being very good against you. The Heliad deck does it by having Oriac champions in it, and that, that matchup, I think, is actively good for the Heliad decks at this point. I, I just don't think that that's true for the Humans or the Spirits decks. Yeah, I agree. I think the spirits decks, the the tribal decks in general, are just really not trying to fight up against the prowess decks that much. They're mostly mm -hmm. trying to beat up on the mid range people. Like Niv Mizzet, you said you could never beat spirits except nope. for if you got lucky, and that's kind of what I feel like their role is right now. Yeah, I I, I agree. I think that spirits of the two is probably the better positioned. Just because, like, Spellqueller has looked impressive, and, I don't know, just the, the plan seems a little bit more robust and resilient than, I don't know how good Thalia is against anything right now, you know? And that's yeah. a big determiner of how good humans is. I did see a cool game on stream where someone had played against Bant Spirits, and they had a Rattle Chains out, and they flashed into play Realm Walker, and just kind of did it. <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it was pretty incredible. But like that only happened once. And I hope I don't know how many I haven't seen like good lists for these spirits decks yet. But Realm Walker is certainly a card you could put in your spirits deck now. Yeah. It's a three for a collective company. You know? Yeah. No, Realm Walker is definitely sweet. That is a good card, for sure. Eldrazitron. I call it a tribal deck, but it's really not. It's just a Chalice of the Void Karn deck. <laughs> That's all it's ever been. Yeah. Uh, you're just trying to figure out why you're playing Chalice instead of like Mono Green Tron, I think is really the defining factor of Eldrazi Tron. Because that's the, the difference between the two decks in my eyes. Because mm -hmm. you're both trying to do the Tron thing or the mana thing. It's just that Eldrazi Tron relies less on the, the Tron-esque package of getting out big things early and trades that off by having like a fine mid-range plan that's not that great against anything. Mm -hmm. But you back it up with Chalice and Karn and hope those cards are like huge hammers in whatever matchup you're playing. Sure. And this ha this this did see play in the challenges. Like it, there's a, a few scattered here and there. But this deck just doesn't impress me at all. And I know we're like classic Eldrazi Tron haters. Mm -hmm. But Chalice is just not that good against even the Prowess decks at this point. Since they're playing so many two mana spells. Right. The problem with the prowess matchup is the two mana spells 
the blue deck has big flyers, which might just fly over your Thought Not Seers and Reality Smashers. The black decks might just play a Death Shadow that's bigger than all of your Eldrazi. <laughs> There's a bunch of bad situations you can get into there. Yeah, and I, I will say that the Death Shadow matchup's a little better for Eldrazi Tron because Karn is so good in that matchup. Sure. But, like, any deck like Prowess that doesn't really care... I mean, you care about Chalice because you, you have a lot of ones in your deck. Don't get me wrong. It is, mm -hmm. Against, like, modern red Prowess, Chalice is actively good. Yes. But then you run up into the classic problem of Chalice the Void and Modern, which is that, unlike in Legacy, you just can't play it on turn one if you're on the draw. <laughs> so mm -hmm. sometimes you have a perfectly fine hand, but you have to play Chalice on turn two on the draw, mm -hmm. and your opponent has played two one-drops already. Right. <laughs> yeah. Not ideal. And one of the one drops is Lava Dart. And if they have a Sprite Dragon in play, like Lava Dart is still fantastic. Yeah, it's just a little like Chalice of the Void as a card is a little awkward. And the only time I was impressed with it was when I think Ian in our Discord mentioned he was playing Underworld Breach and his his Eldrazi Tronicle just played it on zero so he couldn't do anything. <laughs> And yep, that's that's it. That's where you got to have it. <laughs> uh, yep, that, that, that'll do it. So I don't know much about these breach decks. I mean, we talked about, you know, the the aggro decks. Uh, I mean, I don't want to cut off the, the tribal deck conversation if you wanted to talk about humans. And no, let's, a bit let's more. move on. I love talking about breach. Yeah. Uh, so we talked about aggro decks, including bolt decks and tribal decks. The mid-rangey decks, uh, I, I, in my opinion, Niv-Mizzet is the way to go with those, but that's you know, this format is in flux and there may be a, a lot of different things to do. There are some avenues for comboing if that's what you want to do in this format. And there's even like a very clear home for our ad nauseum players to head to if if they want to keep playing, you know, a, a decent percentage of the same cards. I don't know much about these breach decks though. So I would, I would definitely like to hear what you know about them. So most of the breach decks that I've seen are just the normal grinding station ones that you know sometimes play Luris, sometimes play a different color like Cannon, and just mm -hmm. try to like Underworld Breach, Box Amber, kill you with grinding station, that kind of deal. Uh, those, in my experience, have been too slow and clunky, but against you know mid-range decks that are really trying to trade cards back and forth, you can generally like land a Teferi and then just kill them. Mm -hmm. Or eventually they'll run out of stuff and haven't quite killed you yet and you'll top deck your breach and you'll just crush them so like breach though it is slow and kind of clunky for modern still can be okay in like very specific matchups but it's too unreliable for me to have gone back to yet mm -hmm. are, are your bad matchups like the aggro decks then yeah aggro decks anything that is like randomly hoses you like Eldrazi Tron does. Like the deck is really, <laughs> really difficult to beat Karn the Great Creator. So even though yes. you think your combo deck is good against even Mono Green Tron, mm -hmm. Mono Green Tron is actually kind of faster than you because your combo is not super quick unless you get pretty lucky. Uh, because this isn't like Storm. It's not a very fast combo deck, nor mm -hmm. is it super consistent <laughs> because your mana is weird. You have to play cantrips. Like it's it's clunky, but it will kill you. And Underworld Breach is very powerful. I think that's why people are playing with it. Mm -hmm. 
But but if if they slam a card in the great creator and plus it, your cards don't work anymore. If they slam a card in the great creator and forget to activate it, you probably can't win. <laughs> yep. This list that got 26th in the challenge on Saturday, I believe, uh, is a breach deck that uses Burgi. I've not seen this version before. This is the first time I'm looking at it. Obviously. Uh, It's a Burgi Hollow One Oxvagonus deck. Oh, okay. Yeah, I think I... I, I saw some discussion about this, but I am not familiar with it. That yeah, that's kind of sick. It, it's mostly just a hollow one deck. So it's got flame bladed mm-hmm. hollow ones, uh, uh, and the normal enablers, goblin lore and burning inquiry. Uh huh. So you you've got the aggro package there. On top of that, you've got ox of Vilnius and Burgi and a couple grape shots to give you like a, the combo finish. And yeah. you just have four Underworld Breaches. So <laughs> what this deck does is, from what I can see, I haven't seen this played. I just looked at the deck lists. You're just like playing a random normal game of Hollow One and then using your Breaches value spells to like play free Hollow Ones or like burning a creep from your graveyard, then play a Hollow One from your graveyard to refill yeah. really fast. Uh, yeah. And then maybe a Mistress Bubble on top of it. Who, who cares? And then eventually you can just cast a grave shot to finish them off, which is pretty neat. Like Underworld Breach, Lightning Bolt, Grave Shot, perfect. Sounds cool to me. I, you know, I don't know how consistent that is, but the lack of getting destroyed by Karn the Great Creator just being in play is nice. That's a nice upgrade to have. Oh yeah, for sure. And I would be interested in exploring, like maybe this Hollow One list isn't <laughs> the breach, the combo breach deck everyone wants. But Burgi is really strong, especially yeah. with Underworld Breach. So if there is a list that uses those two cards well, that is worth exploring. And I'm gonna I have my eye out for those that particular intersection of cards. Burgi is also an additional legendary creature for Mox Amber, if that's an avenue that your deck is trying to go for. I really don't want to do Grinding Station Underworld Breach. Mm-hmm. Like, if that's the best way to kill someone with Burgie and Underworld Breach, I mean, sure, I'll suck it up and play it. But I feel like the the confluence of having a Grinding Station and an artifact that costs zero, and if it's Mox Amber, you need to a legendary creature. Like, it's too much back deck building restraint, mm-hmm. where if you're just like Underworld Breach Burgie, you can figure out what spells you want to cast in your graveyard to get the mana back, and you can just go from there. Yeah. It may not even necessarily be that you're doing other artifact stuff. I guess if you're not doing other artifact stuff, then you don't have Emery, and then you're back down to not having enough legendary creatures to want Mox Amber anymore. So yeah, the, you may not get there with Mox Amber. But Mox Amber with Burgi gives you a mana and then taps for a mana, Mox Amber, like two Mox Ambers with Breach and Burgi, as long as you have other things going to your graveyard, like they give you the mana to do your stuff. So I don't know. That is like kind of a thing, but you probably need to find some more legendary creatures for your deck, and I don't know what they are. Yeah, and maybe there's something you can do with uh, kind of like what the Lotus Field decks in Pioneer did. Where you can just build some sort of engine that uses Burgi and Underworld Breach to like chain mana and go out of your graveyard like that. Well, messing with any of the artifact stuff. Mm-hmm. Or even, uh, I guess that's a different deck entirely. I was thinking like the Paradox Engine decks in Historic that used Kennen. But for those, you'd still would want Vox Amber. So 
there's like a lot of pieces and I think this deck's really difficult to build and I have not spent very much time trying to build decks with it. For sure. Yeah, I, I definitely would be more interested in Mox Amber if I could use it without making the rest of my deck also super vulnerable to Stony Silence effects. But Burgie generally is a, an avenue worth exploring, I think. That card is just so good. Yeah, I, I agree 100%. <laughs> Impressed me in Vintage, which says something. <laughs> yeah, said it before, but like the Mana Dork on one side, card filtering advantage engine on the other side is like a hell of a combo of cards for a combo deck to be able to play man i i feel like just building a bunch of decks now that the lists just start with four bridgie four underworld breach and see where i can go from there because mm-hmm. those cards do work really well together really really well yeah yeah definitely the horn is is good with underworld breach yeah, too yeah exactly because you discard cards to activate it which like, fuels escape and you can get cards and it, it's just mm-hmm. it's just perfect yeah <laughs> without literally winning the game with two cards <laughs> i mean i have seen some people messing around i don't think these lists are where they're supposed to be yet but with like kind of mono red versions that are also that have like runaway steamkin as a secondary burgie and but i, I think that probably you want to run good cards rather than I'm not super into running like burning inquiries. I want to do, I want to not do that probably in my combo deck. I wonder if there's like some sort of experimental frenzy you can play because Horn of whatever is very good mm-hmm. with experimental frenzy because you can't True. use your hand and it clears the top of your library off <laughs> while digging you an extra card deeper. Yeah, I could see it. Frenzy is pretty expensive, it is, and and like. Like, yes, Horn is five, but it's also flexible. There's a three-mana mana dork on the other side where Frenzy has one mode. But I don't know. There's there's stuff there. There's, like, avenues to be explored with those cards, for sure. Burgie in particular. We're just kind of spitballing right now. Yeah. Uh, other combo decks that are available, if that's your thing. Obviously, you can't ad nauseum anymore because that deck really relied on Simeon Spirit Guide for its combo to work. However, you can still use a lot of the same stuff and play, you know, the inverter version that people tried out and then turned out it was just like bad ad nauseum, but now you don't have access to ad nauseum anymore. So if you want to run Angel's Grace, Spoils of the Vault, Inverter of Truth, Forthos's Oracles or whatever, that's a thing that's available to you. And it looks okay. I, I mean, honestly, like the format is not super set up to deal with stack-based combo decks like this right now and the angel's grace stuff is kind of powerful against people trying to clock you you can buy your buy a little bit of time with it and uh yeah it's an okay deck it seems fine there were like five red white burn decks in these challenges and ad nauseum was really good against burn and had nothing to do with the card ad nauseum (laughs) (laughs) that was a phyrexian unlife matchup yep yeah, I don't know if these lists are. So the one, like I actually saw Sodek playing one of these. So clearly, you know something's there if it's not a dredge deck. But I don't know. I don't remember if he was actually running Phyrexian Unlife. I know he had some Gideon of the Trials in there, and that might have been his three mana. You can't die to your thing combo piece. Can we talk about a different combo deck? One that I think is actually pretty good. Yeah, it's the Hammer Time deck. 
Oh, yeah. I, I really like this deck. It's kind of a Splinter Twin meets Affinity type of deal. <laughs> <laughs> Where you just try to Sigardizate up a hopefully Inkwath Nexus with a Colossal Hammer and just kill them. And you also have this like cute little Paradise Mantle Pure Steel Paladin thing going on mm-hmm. <laughs> to get to your combo a little faster. Mm-hmm. It's just a really neat package of cards. I, I like this list with one Thought Seize in it. Is it a sideboard or a main deck? There's one main deck. There's three in the board, but there's one main deck because sometimes you draw it in your opener and it's good. Clear the way. Yeah, they're pretty much all Luris decks at this point. There's a mono white one, a black white one, and a red white one. I think the red white ones are just pretty old at this point. That one's the mm-hmm. one that plays magmatic magnetic theft. I think the card is yeah. called. To like Which add... is great, great in the mirrors. Yeah, but you don't really. It, it's not that good anywhere else. So no. it's just like kind of a bad version of the pure steel paladin effect. Mm-hmm. But you've got steel shapers gift, which is a one mana card that tutors for an equipment to really just hammer home the consistency. It's probably the best just straight up tutor in modern. You got Stoneforge yeah, Mystic, yeah. Costing one puts it head and shoulders above like the awkwardness of tutoring with anything else. I mean, Eladomri's Call is very good, but... Yeah, Eladomri's Call, Glittering Wish. Those are good cards. Mm-hmm. These are all the good white cards. Tutoring should be a white thing, right? Like, let's let's give decent tutors to white. Yeah, but you just have to play another color so you can get good cards. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah so you get something to find. <laughs> Yeah, no, this deck seems totally fine, seems about in line with the power level of the format right now, has been having success, uh, keeps popping up. What I like about it the most is that it's it can be a quick combo deck where it just, you know, throws a hammer down on something and kills them in one or two hits. But it also can play some grindy games with uh, like Shadow Spear or just moving Colossal Hammer around with mm-hmm. uh, Giver of Roots. Mm-hmm. To end Luris of the Dream Den to give like a little extra protection. And it's got some cool lines with Sigarda's aid where you can like play multiples to play around disenchant effects. Sure. That's pretty nice. Yeah. And I mean, if you do have to grind, you are a Luris Misha's Bobble deck. So if you get into that spot, you can you can get an extra card or two that hopefully can get you over a hump but yeah you you don't have a lot of inter- access to interaction or anything like that a lot of the deck space is taken up with these like zero mana equipments and stuff pure steel paladin can cycle with uh you are definitely trying to rack up the cards to get through their disruption and then hit them with a hammer mm-hmm. and your sideboard is pretty much just all disruption like thought seizes if you're in black mm-hmm. just white hate cards if you're not because there's a million of those just pick which ones you want <laughs> Yep. And a guy is blessing in this sideboard, just in case. Oh, you found one with a guy is blessing in it? <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> Probably would not recommend doing that, but, you know, no. if you don't want to lose to mill, that's an option. I think there's, like, one mill in each of these challenge top 32s. I also don't think this is a deck that's, like, in danger of losing to mill. No, you should be fine. So. If they surgical your hammers before you get one into play, but. Yeah, you got to start attacking with your tutus then. Well, you're not going to kill them before you get milled out in that case. Hey, we've got some they, equipments. They do have some number of fatal pushes. Dang. Let's see. Oh, I did see somebody talking about selective memory. 
in modern. Is so selective memory is a three and a blue sorcery. Search your library for any number of non-land cards and exile them. So that is a possibility for an oops all spells kind of deck. You can just exile your whole deck and then leave a Thassa's Oracle there. Uh, you can do that. It's a sorcery, right? Four mana sorcery. It is a sorcery. Yeah. It's a little awkward. It is a little awkward, but I mean, if you got Teferi in play. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I I'm not gonna like super naysay it because it's kind of a one card combo. Yeah, but at that point that, you just are playing like a, a just a blue shell with just a bunch of bad cards in it, right? Is that good well? Enough? So you're playing a blue shell. Your lands are, uh, you know, a lot of them come into play tapped and stuff. It's not ideal. Uh, so like the the big sacrifice you're making, I think, is mana base. But what you then have in your deck are you know some amount of blue disruption including force of negation if you want it uh or maybe pact of negation is better to protect your combos you run some mana and then you can have char belcher and selective memory as your two like kill them cards and you can run a bunch of teferis i don't know there, there's something there like somebody the what i saw was somebody posting like hey i had this idea and i put it together and i five owed so maybe this is good so you know maybe it's good uh, I have to wait for more data. I'm not going to make a yeah. call on that one. Of course. But it is doing a powerful thing and just like doing it on axes that like people might not be prepared for. Any Basically, any deck with Thassa's Oracle in it, I'm prepared to say like this could be good. Sure. But like I, I yeah. question whether selective memory is significantly. Like, it seems like to me. You could play just a red green scape shift deck and be doing mostly the same thing, but probably more consistently. Yeah, maybe. It's totally possible. Yeah, and you're also bad against Avon Mind Sensor with this deck. Selective memory, <laughs> exile my the top four cards in my library. So And then shuffle your entire library. <laughs> oh, did you see? We don't shuffle libraries anymore, we just shuffle. Oh, and then just shuffle. Yeah. Very important. I do like the mana value thing, mostly because of the stupid jokes people all make. What's the mana value of that Aether Vial? Probably like a hundred. <laughs> it's definitely worth a lot of mana. Yeah, yeah it is too bad. I, I feel like they could have finagled the rules to come up with. Like, I know that mana cost refers to the, the actual whole cost of cost, a card. Yeah. So there is a, there are stumbling blocks there. But clearly, like... I just feel like there should be some way of making it so that, like, if you have a card that is referencing a card's mana cost and cares about number, it cares about the what we used to call converted mana cost. Because, like, mana cost is a way better term. Mana value, like, the word value really comes from nowhere in Magic. So It's got a long history of coming from nowhere in Magic, though. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> magic players love value. I know, but that's not what it means in this context. <laughs> so I get why they couldn't have just made it mana cost, but I I would have put a lot of effort into making mana cost work as the new term if I if I were in their shoes. Yeah, we have to talk about this strict saving previews at some point. We don't have it on our thing for today, so probably not then, but well, I don't know. Like we could, I guess we could talk about the commands. No. We could talk about what school of Strixhaven magic are you in? No, we can't do that. I was busy when those were getting spoiled. 
and mm-hmm. I just haven't put the time in to like analyze four different combinations or four modes on each card with a bunch of combinations between sorcery oh, and instant. Lee, <laughs> I don't care about that. I only care about if you're Silver Quill or or Gryffindor. Quandrix. Wait. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, I don't. I don't know the school names. I know the the green black one, which is you know my least favorite color variant all of Magic. <laughs> is uh the art for that one was really good <laughs> yeah i don't remember what they stand for or what their names are or i think like wither bloom is the green black one. Ooh, yeah wither bloom but that's all i've got commands are hard to immediately evaluate for sure but they usually end up being pretty good yeah and always skeptical people are saying the is it one is kind of bad, but like it's got four modes on it, and most of them seem reasonable. So how high could it really be? Yeah, and that card only costs three mana, right? Yeah. So like, bar isn't that high. It makes me so I wasn't playing during uh, cons of Kirkier or Dragons of Kirkier, maybe but that whole block. I kind of just like missed for a little bit, so I didn't know what people were saying about the commands when they were being spoiled. Then mm-hmm. I'm kind of interested to go back and see what people thought about them, right? Because some Cause of they those all were, ended up being yeah. Like, yeah, Trabuka's like, Command and Atarka's Command were standard powerhouses. Mm-hmm. And Kolu's Command we still see play now. Yep. Yeah. Pretty much only... I mean, Silvergast's Command still saw, like, niche play for certain situations. Like, they were all good, basically. So, put four modes on a thing. I mean, it's more than four modes, because you get to choose any combination. So that's seven modes or whatever. Yeah, and the Lorwyn ones I was around for, but none of them mattered except for Cryptic Command, so... Hey, Primal Command was good. I mean, yeah. Austere Command is very good in the Commander. Like, it's not like the Loring fans are bad. It's just like, Cryptic Command was very clearly better than all of them. Yeah. I think that one, people were kind of shocked to see Cryptic Command. Like, it was, like, clearly powerful. And then nobody understood that it was even more powerful in context because your opponent would pass the turn with four mana and you'd be like, well, you could have either of two cards that do the complete opposite thing or you have both, so no matter what I do, you're going to beat me. So we can we can talk about those commands later. Yes, I don't I don't think that we need to go super deep into that right now. We'll just talk, you know, we'll just spend five the minutes Zone. on the concept of commands generally. Or, or mana value, you know, it just it's all in the ballpark here. Mm-hmm, for sure. I mean, stuff, other stuff from Modern. Modern Green Tron is yeah. perfectly uh, good. Yep. I see a lot of people qualifying for Manitators with Tron and doing really mm-hmm. well with it. It's just like Tron. It, it was bad for a while because of the Sanctuary stuff. Mm-hmm. But now everyone's trying to play these weird mid-range decks, and Tron's really good against those. Yes. I think if you are trying to play a weird mid-range deck and you're trying to play a tournament, I would recommend having a Tron plan. You know, that's why I want Glittering Wish in my Niv-Mizzet deck, just to give me a little bit extra against them. Uh, The Crumble to Dust out of the sideboard, having access to that was also really, really nice. Especially if you ramp some. Like, I guess a big, big problem in that matchup in particular is if you're using Utopia Sprawl to ramp, and if your plan was, like, let them cast a big thing, but then take them off Tron, and then deal with the big thing, and then kill them. Uh, that plan doesn't work if you put a Utopia Sprawl on a land, and then they Karn your land. So, 
I, I don't know. That matchup might take a lot of finagling to to make palatable. Sometimes you just gotta cross your fingers and have they cast Wormcoil Engine. Right, but <laughs> I, I think you in your deck building stage, cleansing wildfire can... is a really good one to have in mind if you're if you've got red in your sideboard. Oh, true. Like that card wasn't around the last time Tron was popular, and cleansing mm-hmm. wildfire is pretty good. It's a cantrip ghost quarter. Yeah, yeah, that's that's definitely true, and card is really good against Tron for sure. Yeah, I uh, in my that that one match I played against Tron, the game two ended with me ulting a Ren and Six with a Crumble to Dust in my graveyard and an Omnath in play. So we we got them. We crumbled them to dust until they did not have enough lands left in their library to in play and in their library to cast their spells. I will say my favorite modern moment I saw this past weekend was a screenshot where uh, I sent it to you. Someone was playing Tron and they lost against their opponent on the play. Their opponent on the play went turn three Soren, uh, the three mana sword, minus to put in Morpheon, which is the changeling lord from Modern Horizons. Mm-hmm. Then just played like three slivered legendary creatures for free, and just <laughs> killed their opponent. <laughs> yep, that that'll do it. I so I think you have to okay. Obviously, this isn't a serious deck, and nobody should ever play this. If you are gonna do Morpheon, though. I think you shouldn't you also be on Tron? Shouldn't your mana base include like Tron and like the World Tree or something like that? Like so the Tron can cast Morpheon. If you don't draw it, then maybe you can like Golos out a five color filter land and then start casting your slivers for for Wooberg. Like, I don't know. Maybe maybe you're just supposed to play fetches and stuff and then cast your slivers for Wooberg. Maybe that's better. I, I will trust the Morpheon experts. I'm not going to touch the deck. <laughs> <laughs> I will say that if you're trying to play like Morpheon, having a bunch of five color slivers in your Tron deck seems horrible. Yes. If you don't have access to exactly Morpheon. Well, you know, we got to also be a Golos deck or something too. Well, yeah, get, that's get why I like the Soren so much. Like Morpheon's a vampire, perfect. Yes, absolutely. Uh, another cute thing that I saw, this is neither here nor there, uh, but Immerstrom Predator is a dragon, but it's also a vampire. So in historic vampires, you get to play Immerstrom Predator. <laughs> that is cute. I didn't think about that. Yeah. And again, this is not a vampire riding a dragon. This is a dragon that is a vampire. And that is why it's in the tribe. The right, the so you know, the 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 steed is never the creature type. So if it were somebody riding a dragon, it would just be a vampire. There's like two dragons in Scourge. I think there's a there's a skeleton dragon, and then there's like Bladewing, which is a zombie dragon. Mm-hmm. But the one that's a skeleton looks like a zombie, and the one that's a skeleton or the one that's a zombie looks like a skeleton. And they're just the opposite creature types. Really, just like throwing dark bards at dragon creature types. And never forget about the original vampire dragon, vampiric dragon. One in red, ping, get a plus one, plus one counter. Eight mana, five, five. No, it's not even, like, you're thinking of, like, you're thinking of, like, Olivia Voldaren. Yeah. This is a way worse ability than Olivia Voldaren. What is this one? This is one in a red, it deals one damage to target creature. 
Whenever a creature dealt damage by vampiric dragon, this turn is put into a graveyard, put a plus one plus yeah. one counter on vampiric Yeah, that's dragon. more like it. This is an eight mana creature. It's from Odyssey. What do you yeah. what do you want? Yeah, yeah. That's all you did dragons back in the day. You paid a premium for them. And they didn't yeah. they weren't like five mana four four haste creatures that just killed your opponent in multiple ways. <laughs> well, Onslaught came out pretty soon after that, and then at least you got a six five for six. Six yeah. five haste. Rurks was nice. Yeah. Uh, should we talk a little bit about standard? Um, yeah, we can talk a little bit about. It. I I didn't play any standard this weekend, so yeah, I I played some. I just kind of want to acknowledge where we're at and stuff because we didn't talk about it last time either. So, I think the storyline of what's happening is like very very obvious to anybody who is paying attention to it. The salt eye decks became the main thing, which meant the ultimatum decks became the main way to play salt eye. Because if you're all Extinction Events and Heartless Acts, you're, you're not going to beat the ultimatum version of the deck. Because those decks got so big, the aggro decks came along and started just cleaning house. So both Mono Red and Mono White were kind of like the big winners of the past week or so. And cycling. And cycling as well. Yeah. Yes. Can't forget about cycling. Well, you can't Heartless Act a Flourishing Fox. No, you cannot. Can't hard cycle of Zenith Flare either. Yeah, I I don't know if cycling is cycling gives uh, the 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 mono red and mono white decks though. Also, like they benefit hugely from Faceless Haven is just like kind of the best card in both of those decks almost. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a huge just, sta- like staying power card. Yeah, and it does a great job of carrying them to wins through Shadows Verdicts and Extinction Events and and other sweepers that you know handily deal with two mana indestructible creatures so you need to find a, a fancier way of killing them after and, and face faceless haven has done a great job of that i've actually been more impressed by mono white than mono red which is surprising yep uh just like kind of the combination of all the skyclaves redain sometimes halvar I, I actually really like the board states where halvar gets to like equip all the skyclave each combat it's like kind of cute, but it's yeah, mostly you'd be paying time. four mana for the privilege each time. Well, you you paid that's what you paid all of our for four mana yeah. up front, mm-hmm. then just move it around as much as you want. Yeah, and double strike those guys up. Oh yeah, uh, Mold the Skyclave is. I, I was really high on it when Zendikar was released, and it just like saw no play because the only other good card was Skyclave Apparition. Mm-hmm. But with all the good white cards that were printed in this set, plus Faceless Haven. All of a sudden, Moth Skyclave is great. Yeah. Do we think that this is actually a good white aggro deck? Or do we think that it's just good because, you know, a large portion of the metagame is not set up to deal with it and putting pressure on the Sultai decks early in a deck that, like, Heartless Act isn't good enough to stop is just, like, a, a, a sweet sauce for this point in the metagame? So I don't believe Mono White is ever not... Like, I, I think every time any mono-white deck is good in standard, it's mm-hmm. because the format exploiting. is exploitable. Unlike mono-red, which can have, like, very powerful draws and enough reach to close out games, it's really hard for mono-white to have the same kind of thing. So I find that mono-white's really, really good when it can exploit metagames like this. And when it can't, it's just, like, kind of irrelevant. Yeah. I think you're right. 
Um, most of the games where Mono White is good play out in like a really similar way, which is basically Hallow Blade, and then a mall gets put on it at some point. Mm-hmm. And that's like a pretty vulnerable point of attack. I mean, obviously, like the Hallow Blade is protected, and Maul is a good card, kind of in several different situations. But the fact that that's your powerful thing. It doesn't necessarily come together all the time, and it's not good against everybody. So I, I, I think there are definitely points of pressure here and definitely times that this deck is not going to be great. Yeah, I think it's... Oh, pick your battle deck. Like, you mm-hmm. see everyone's playing these ultimatums, and you pick up your Mono White deck, and you strike. You can do the same thing with Mono Red. I just think Mono White is generally going to be faster like moderate's just super reliant on Emrickly right now really yeah. really reliant yeah i saw maybe your tweet that you just can't wait until moderate's defined by just did they draw Emrickly or not yeah it's like it, and I, i've been playing like various creature decks in standard which make it even more that this is the only thing that matters but i just feel like 80 percent of games with mono red just come down to a moment where it's like if they have Embercleave, they win. If they don't have it, they lose. And you can play around it a little bit, but usually the turns you can play around Embercleave are a little later in the game where you really just need them not to have it the turn before you can set up to play around it. Yeah, so I I mostly am looking forward to just a period of time where Mono Red is a deck rather than a card. That would be nice. Well, we've got Strixhaven, which is all schools, and you know, we're, we're not about fighting in school, so... Yeah, but I don't know some some aggressive wizards or something like that. That can be a thing. What's some this? good burn some good burn spells that encourage you to not play like thirty creatures in your mono red deck. Yeah, that would be nice. I do miss having like good spells in these aggro decks. Yeah, somebody cast a slaying fire on me, and it was extremely surprising. I wasn't expecting it even a little bit. What's the set after Strixhaven? Is that the D and D one? I think I it think is. So yeah, yeah. Because that's the core set, so... I mean, I'm sure we'll get previews for it in a couple of weeks. <laughs> yeah, these <laughs> Strixhaven previews. <laughs> like, Redemption hasn't even started on Magic Online for Kaldheim, and we're getting Strixhaven previews. Are you ready for the Time Spiral previews next week? Oh, yeah. I am I mean, I've been ready for the Time Spiral previews for years. <laughs> ever, ever since they revealed Damnation on, like, the first. <laughs> 2006. Yes. I mean, Time Spiral Block, it, because I'm an old person, Time Spiral Block remains, like, pretty much my favorite thing in Magic. Yeah, I hope the limited one's playable. I'd be willing to play, like, several games of that on Magic Online. Yeah. Oh, for sure. And there will be no Sprout Swarm. Like, that won't be part of it. It's kind of so. a little disappointing. I get nostalgic <laughs> for losing to Sprout Swarm sometimes. No, I did enough of that. Like I, I've had, I had enough of that for a lifetime. So no sprout swarm, only Kavu Primark. <laughs> I played. Oh yeah, we should mention the Naya aggro combo deck that has multiple Fury cards in it. Kazul's Fury and the, Fury. the so that doubles a creature's power. And this deck should be called Naya's Fury. I'm ty- Naya's combo. Naya Combo is just such a bad name. I thought, when you put Naya Combo on this document, I'm like, this is the rune deck? What are we talking about? Yeah, 
I only put it there because that's what everybody was calling it. It's dumb. Start calling it Naya Fury, people. Sure. That's fine. I think that's much better. It looked fine. I'm not sure why it saw like a lot of play really quickly. I I, I don't think it's great. I think it's just a fine Naya mid-range deck that yeah. can sneak some wins in when people aren't expecting it sometimes. But now that it's like on people's radar, you lose a bunch of the percentage points it had previously. Yeah. I mean, Goldspan Dragon plus, like, weird pump stuff or whatever. Like, that is pretty powerful. But I played a different Goldspan Dragon Adventures deck. I, I played a bunch of the... So just, you know, Teamer Adventures, but just running four all-rounds Epiphany in it as your go-over-the-top thing. Uh, and it was really powerful. Were you playing I, Obosh? Yes, yeah. So all your cards are odd, so you can play Obosh. It is, you know, the deck kind of constructs itself. It's the Adventures Package, uh, All Runs Epiphany. The original list had four Saw It Coming in it. I saw that. Which is, it's kind of cute. I kind of get the logic. It's like, I'm playing all of these odds, and, like, the Adventure Creatures let me have twos, and then playing four Tells also let me have twos. But four Saw It Coming is way too many. Maybe two, maybe zero. Uh, I'm not sure what else goes in that slot, but it just like gets stuck in your hand really, really easily. And it, it, in particular, it's so atrocious against the mono white and mono red decks. I think those slots should be cards that are good against those decks because the rest of your deck is good against other stuff. All runs Epiphany against the Sultai decks is. Whew. You could play other four tough cards. Like, isn't Demon Bolt the three? Start there. Yeah, I, Demon Bolt might not be bad. I, I could see that. I didn't mind having like drawing one saw it coming like game one, especially against Sultai is like really good. But after board, there were like five counter spells in the sideboard. And so you're playing against Sultai and you're like, I can't bring in f five counter spells and then have nine counter spells in my deck. So like that's definitely wasted slots. So I was actually really, really impressed with miscast though. Oh yeah. Yeah. The counter, unless they pay three. That's yeah. Yeah. It was just, like, really, really versatile. Obviously, it's great at forcing your stuff through the way that Mystical Dispute is, but it's also just, if you're going to stop my guy, then I get to counter that for one mana and get rid of that Bone Crusher Giant. So it's really good at countering adventure spells, and just there were a lot of spots where it was really efficient and powerful. That was played, like, one, right? The version that I was playing actually had two in the board, and I went up to three, and it was really good, so... Okay. Nice. I, I just, I don't know. There, there were a lot of spots where it was really good. I loved it against Sultai. I loved it against like the blue-red tempo deck. And it, it just did a lot of work. And also just brought it in against other adventure decks because it just, it was a huge tempo gain for one mana. Yeah, I'm, I'm a big fan of the uh, played mid-range cards plus time warps Yeah, kind of strategy as evidenced by how I tried to do that with Karn's Temporal Sundering. <laughs> <laughs> yeah this one's a better card than cards temporal sundering <laughs> although you do need to prioritize foretelling all runs epiphany and and probably like trying to do it on turn two is kind of important because that's it's just really hard to fit it in at other times and the adventures deck is very good at taking turn two off and then doing your powerful stuff around turn two every other like turn, on pretty much yes yeah play a play a one one on turn one and then use all your mana on every other turn 
So the games where I did suspend All Runs Epiphany on turn two mostly felt like I've really got something going on here. The games where I didn't, either I didn't have it in my hand or didn't have the right lands or whatever uh, to make everything work, it did feel a little bit awkward. So you want to prioritize that. Also, this deck was 26 lands and four Kazandu Mammoths, and I think you want at least one more land in the deck. So... Just keep that in mind. It, it wants to be a 31 land deck pretty badly. Can cut out the slot coming, probably. Yeah. It's also really, really fun to play. Well, it's not the adventure cards. This is always been really fun to play. Yeah. It, it feels kind of bad because I've really been, in, I've enjoyed the adventure creatures since they came out and they were very, very, very powerful. Mm -hmm. And they were still fun to play then. They just haven't gotten less fun to play. It's just everyone's tired of them because they're just so yeah. good. I know. I know. But this is, you get the additional fun of like, I'm setting up my big time walk turn. Like I'm navigating the game. I'm not making this trade because I know this creature is going to be better when I've got a time walk. Like, please attack, like, like bait your opponent into attacking you. Because if they have one more tap creature, this like getting an extra attack step when they have a tap creature is, <laughs> Yeah, uh, I don't, I, I think that's a pretty good quick look at standard after our tour of modern uh do you have anything else you want to talk about no i'm I'm pretty excited for the modern tournament this weekend in that i hope that this big tournament gives like some sort of actual concrete metagame evidence i hope it's just not like 300 people and two pilots is the most we have for a deck like that would be horrible <laughs> I really hope it concentrates down to something I can actually look at. This is probably going to be the biggest modern tournament, you know, so far in New Modern. Mm -hmm. I, I'm, I'm actually looking forward to it quite a bit. Yeah, this should be fun. So for the question of the week, Liquid Jeans asks, why do you think Pioneer died as hard as it did? Is it the metagame of, is it the management of the format or the card pool or something else? Do you have thoughts? Are you going to go first? You oh, yeah, I first? have thoughts. Okay, you can go first. So I actually really like Pioneer. I think it's a cool mm -hmm. format. And Dig Through Time is still legal for some reason, but whatever. It's it's just neat. But the reason Pioneer existed exists is because Wizards wanted a new market and a new format because Modern was really big. Really, really big. And a lot of new players just couldn't get into it. So they made a new version of modern, starting like pretty much at the same point when they made modern. Like it was about seven years long. So this one started at Theros. So there's a new format. People can buy cards. It's new stuff. Everyone loves new formats. It's great. Paper magic's gonna be great. It's great. Then all the events were canceled because of the pandemic, and Pioneer just died. That's kind of what I feel happened. Like I think if the virus hadn't made its way through the world people would just be playing Pioneer and the format would look a lot different because people would be playing it, but it would still exist and be a relevant format. Mm -hmm. Whereas, you know, after the pandemic, like why do we care about Pioneer at all? If you're wizards, like, is it going to make you money? <laughs> you just promote historic instead. Yeah. I mean, it really didn't have time to find any sort of stable footing. It, it hadn't matured as a format. Yeah. Like it could contrast with modern. Like, why is modern still popular through the pandemic and Pioneer isn't is, I mean, multiple things probably. But 
one of them is that people were already playing modern and already knew it and had been playing it for a long time. Mm-hmm. And there's just cards and decks you can build in modern that just aren't available in other formats. So you played mm-hmm. those. Same thing with Legacy too. But Pioneer, you don't have any like attachment to Pioneer cards. And when the format died, like when the pandemic started, the format was terrible. It was all Inverter, all mm-hmm. uh, Breach, and Heliot. Those are like the three decks, and they're all combo decks. And a very, very small percentage of Magic players even like playing any combo deck. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and definitely don't like playing against it over and over and over again. Yeah. So I think it's just like a good number of factors that led to Pioneers. I, I'm going to call it a hibernation because I think I really think after Paper Magic really comes back in force, Pioneer will be lit big again. But there's just no reason for them to have it now. Well, I mean, that's really going to depend on tournament organizers having Pioneer tournaments and making that a thing, which I don't see any reason why that wouldn't happen. So I, I think Pioneer is a way better format for paper tournament organizers than like Historic is. Sure. Because I historic, mean, Historic is impossible to, yeah, for sure. Like Historic has that problem too, where it's just hard to tell what's legal. Kind of like Popper. Uh, if you ever played like a Popper paper tournament, it was really hard to tell what was exactly legal on Magic Online Popper because there were some cards in like Vintage Masters that were only released online, but are common but they're not anywhere common everywhere else. So you just like kind of figure it out and it was annoying. You don't want to have an actual tournament like historic have the same problem. Yeah. Forgive me, popper players for not calling it a real format. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I I think that's gotta be the main thing is like the pandemic killed paper play. Paper play is necessary for making a format popular. Historic has been buoyed by the fact that there's only two ways to play constructed on arena and the arena audience is quite large but i i i can't imagine that like it doesn't seem like historic is doing particularly well either like what is like it gets some support and it gets some attention because there's some very high level play of it but basically like a format needs to be cemented into people's consciousness and modern was cemented into people's consciousness because we've been playing it for so long it can survive a year of being really bad and it doesn't matter people will keep playing modern people will come back to it pioneer having like simultaneously a year of no tournaments that matter at all and a solid stretch of just being really really bad and nobody identifies as a pioneer player. Nobody, nobody's favorite deck is their pioneer deck. Like nobody's identity as a magic player is built around like experiences that they've had playing pioneer. So there was no hold, you know, it didn't have a, a, a grappling point in people's minds. The, the pioneer existed for like three months, four months before mm-hmm. it went away. So yep. it's like not very long. Right. Yeah. And I still don't have like a, a thing that I picture when I picture a pioneer tournament, you know, I think I played in just one pioneer paper tournament. No, I guess I played the invitational and an open. Yeah. So two pioneer tournaments, one of which was the, just the debut of pioneer because standard was so bad at that time. I said, you had to switch their format. (laughs) 
Yeah, that's still funny to me. Like, honestly, it's just indictment of how bad standard was then and also kudos resdg for just switching it to a new format with like yeah. three banned cards and everybody loved it yeah it, it was, was like, like well done at cg we don't have to play standard thank god right <laughs> do we know what's good in pioneer no idea i haven't looked at the card pool at all yeah no and and like part of my like i don't really know what i'm thinking of when i think of pioneer is you know i played a handful of tournaments i i played that invitational and then i played a couple of I played a couple IQs and the format was like wildly different each time because it was developing really quickly and also like stuff was getting banned constantly. So the the time I did spend playing Pioneer is like completely inapplicable to what Pioneer is now. You know, there there was the decks that I played were like a hardened scales deck that is completely unplayable now. Uh Phoenix that got that became completely unplayable like really soon afterward and probably wasn't good at the time, but we didn't know what was good yet. And then several different Oko decks that obviously like aren't close to like none of the cards actually were very good except for Oko and you had mana guys to play Oko with. So like, what is pioneer? I I still don't know. To me, it's modern light. Mm -hmm. Like in, I, I like Pioneer because you get mm -hmm. there's a lot of cool. So, <laughs> Pioneer is largely to me defined by Thronville Drain Forward, because that's where all like the really powerful cards are. Yeah, but even given that, there's a lot of cool stuff you can do before Eldrain with the cards from Eldrain that makes the format interesting and fun for me. Like the sure. the Fires of Revenge and Lucas stuff. That I mentioned, I think, last episode is really cool because you get to play a lot of cool cards in it. Um, I played with Kethys for a lot a lot of time. I really liked that deck, and they banned Kethys for God knows what reason. Still unjust. Yeah. I would I would be down to play some Pioneer. <laughs> yeah, I'm certainly down. I, I just, you know, my my grasp of it isn't an indictment of like my lack of a grasp of it isn't an indictment of Pioneer as it exists now. It's just a criticism of, or not even a criticism, just the reality of, like, haven't had an opportunity to, like, become friends with this format yet. But hopefully, well, you know, I love making new friends. Yeah. Especially with cards you've got to play in Standard that'll find their way on the ban list. <laughs> Ah, this, like, two-year stretch of Magic cards. It's been a wild ride. Well, we already had something banned out of call time, right? So we're not I quite know. done. The fastest. We set the record again. <laughs> so we'll, we'll have to get through Strixhaven while it's banned before we start. Oh, finally, the stretch of Magic's over. <laughs> yep. You have anything else to say about Pioneer? No, I'm good. All right, that should do it for us for today. Thanks, everybody, so much for listening. We really appreciate your time. If you want to lend us some support, head over to patreon.com slash mtggrindcast, become a patron, hang out in the Discord, send us your questions about which format we don't really want to play and why. There's <laughs> several of them. Yeah, just that question. That's the <laughs> only one we're really willing to entertain. <laughs> well, you know, it could be like a three or four part series at least. So Yeah, there's like three or four more formats. <laughs> 
If you want to catch us on social media, I'm tweeting from at CCR underscore Grindcast. Lee is also on Twitter. I'm at Lee McLeo. And we'll we'll be doing coverage this weekend, too. Oh, yeah. If you want to catch the Mana Traders tournament, you can go to twitch.tv slash Mana Traders. I'll be doing some commentary. It'll be modern. Hopefully, I won't have to cast too many games of Eldrazitron. Well, I'll see what I can do with my... (laughs) The choices of matches to put up, I'll probably make. I'll probably make sure to get at least one up there. But yeah, of course you gotta make yourself. <laughs> but yeah, that is all day Saturday, and then starting at 4 p.m. Eastern on Sunday for the top eight. So definitely check that out, and it should be a good, you know, window into what's going on in this new modern format. I hope. Thanks so much, and have a great week. Until next week when we get, you know, time spiral spoilers. <laughs> God, if that actually happens. It does. I'm serious. Wait, does it really? Yeah. I, I am. I promise you CCR. Oh, my God. What? I mean, I guess is it because it's like a supplemental set? So yeah, there, there, there are no rules. Yeah, but it's yeah. OK, you know, you're right. Yeah, I guess we are getting them, huh? Yeah, it's preview season all the time. That's that's, that's next week. <laughs> All right. Take it easy. Have a great week. See you later. Bye.